Good afternoon. Good brunch. Good brunch. I'm Jamie Baker. I'm Sarah Matthews. And this is Nurse Coffee Talk. Welcome, everybody. Welcome. Our third host today is my stomach. Oh, this should make her interesting. Immediately when we hit record, started making noise. Stop it. Hush in there. (laughs) <laughs> the dogs are barking they are <laughs> oh man that just reminds me because i don't know why i think it's because we usually record like when i'm bringing my daughter home from gymnastics and i i, I wouldn't say always by any stretch of the imagination but more frequently than necessary i stop and get chili dogs and that's like a bad <laughs> idea before recording uh-huh, sure <laughs> but they're so good that sounds great oh i did not have chili dogs tonight I had a nice stew for dinner with some red wine. Ooh. I just downloaded a bunch of, like, really good chicken recipes that are, like, really healthy, low point. Oh, that's good. Chicken recipes, yeah. Did you have to scroll for 300 years to get to the recipe of through the woman's story about how her husband hates vegetables, but even he asked for second helpings of this recipe? I... (laughs) No, it wasn't from Pinterest. (laughs) (laughs) That's too funny. Okay, so today on Nurse Coffee Talk, we'll be talking about nursing issues for some of the time. (laughs) All right, great. (laughs) So first of all, can I just ask you why lab is like a terrible entity? (laughs) Sweeping declaration. (laughs) Lab sucks. (laughs) Lab is the worst. I assume you mean specimen processing. Oh, yes, right? sure. Blood, I urine, just call them lab fluids. because they don't deserve the dignity of specimen processing. Oh, okay. Oh, man. I hate it. I like it. I'm fired up about it. Like, okay, there has been a battle since the dawn of time of ER versus lab. I don't know if this exists on the floor, but ER sends a lot of specimens to the specimen processing department. Mm-hmm. And lab is just the worst. And they reject all of our specimens. I remember when I was a tech in the ER and I would grab all the specimens because they wanted us to handle the fluids. Mm-hmm. I do remember many of my specimens being rejected, often because I think I was rushing, perhaps. Like mislabeling and stuff? Um, Like hemolyzing and like, or not getting enough or whatever. But I mean, even on the floor, guaranteed your patient poops for the first time in five days, you can just guarantee they're going to lose that specimen. Right. Sure. A hundred percent. So that's my other issue is the loss of specimen. So what triggered me to want to discuss this on air, because I've held despise in my heart towards lab for many years. <laughs> uh-huh. But the other day I'm at work and I hear my coworker on the phone and she's like, no, you absolutely do have that specimen because I collected it myself and I hand walked it down to you (laughs) and directly handed it to you. So you 100% have that specimen. And I can hear somebody else like talking on the other end. And she says, so you put it in a cupboard and now it's too late to run it. That's not my fault. I delivered it to you by hand. Yes, you did say you put it in a cupboard. I'm not making that assumption. That's what you told me. Oh my God. (laughs) And I'm just like hearing the side of the story and I'm like, oh my God, 
Lab is the worst. So she went and collected the regular blood. She also collected a lactic, which this particular facility still puts lactic on ice. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. I remember running them down. Right. Because you have like 15 minutes to process. However, if they stick that in the refrigerator, you actually have like 14 hours to process that, FYI. Nice. And I looked that up because I was so mad that Lab gave me crap about it one day. And I was like, let me see your book. I want to see your manual. Let me see, show me the manual. <laughs> and I sat in Lab and read the manual. <laughs> I literally believe that 100% without hesitation. I, I know. I was so irritated. And I was like, it says here 14 hours. Well, that's not our policy. I know. And I'm like, screw the policy. The sample's good. Whatever. She's a hard poke. It took me 15 pokes to get this. I'm sorry you didn't run it in time. It's been in your refrigerator. It's good. Run it. Anyway. So lab notoriously hates the ER and ER notoriously hates the lab. And part of my frustration with this is when you get notification that your specimens, specimens, is that the correct word? Specimens? Plural? Yes. Sure. Are hemolyzed specimens are hemolyzed. What else? What other word would it be? <laughs> well, I specimen singular and plural. I don't know. Anyway, no, I think you, I think I think you add an S. Okay, specimi, specimi, maybe. <laughs> I don't think that's it either. Somebody tell us what the plural of specimen is. <laughs> I'm sure it's specimens. I feel confident in that. <laughs> when you get notification that your specimens are hemolyzed, mm-hmm. sometimes that's understandable. You had like a teeny butterfly. You were like sucking it off the line. Like, okay, I get it. However, isn't it suspicious that when certain people are working, all the specimens are are hemolyzed. Yes, of course. You could pull that shit from a 16 gauge IV and they're like, it's hemolyzed. And you're like, screw you. No, it's not. I don't feel like you're angry with me. I'm going to need your energy level up. I know. I'm, (laughs) I'm processed. So you're painting in the picture for me to get on board with you because I truly do not have a dog in this fight. I'd stop that. I don't believe you. I just don't (sighs) because phlebotomy, I, we, I was a spoiled little nurse and we had phlebotomy draw our stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now they would always, any other sample that we collect that was not blood they would almost always lose so that was infuriating and then magically mm-hmm. though we used the same tube system when phlebotomy would send on the labs they had no problem running those i know and it's like but my c diff it's please it took me so long i had to hand scoop the poop you're really gonna make me do that again <laughs> well if it's truly c diff it probably just flopped right in the cup that's a good point you usually <laughs> just pour it in but <laughs> But for non-CDF. <laughs> I will say there's one place I work where, and maybe maybe it's like this everywhere, because I, I can't say I collect a lot of CDF in the ER because it's not a popular ER test, mm-hmm. but it comes with a container. And when you unscrew the cap, the yeah, cap is made a little spoon. Yeah. <laughs> and then you, But it's like this little tiny spoon. And you're it's like, what the fuck am I supposed to do with this? It's the absolute tediest spoon you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> it's like smaller and than I'm what like, they give out ice cream scoop samples on. Yes. It, it's literally like as small as my pinky fingernail. It's, like, and a, I'm it's like, like an eighth of a teaspoon, probably. That's my guess. I'm literally like trying to just scoop up. And then, of course, the mucusy poop is like dangling. Uh, uh, and I'm just like, yeah. ah, uh, like trying to lift. <laughs> it up and get it over into the cup and then it's splashing everywhere. I'm like, this is the worst. This is the worst. I'm so sorry for anyone non-medical listening to this. That's probably when they just left. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we don't have non-medical people here. <laughs> well, a few of my very loyal friends have tried. 
which I appreciate. <laughs> oh, that's nice of them. They've tried and they've like ducked out. Well, I don't no. know that it's totally for them. I mean, I think there's a part where they're like, I had to Google a lot of what you guys were saying and it kind of loses its yeah, excitement sure. when you have to keep pausing sure. it. Yeah, for sure. No, but I do agree. And like, particularly when you know it's certain people working. Now, do yes. you get, now this isn't going to be another sweeping declaration, but also here we are. So whatever. Do you feel like the people in the lab are like lazy, stupid? Would you assign um, any of those words to them? Uh... I do I know mean, I've I never seen any weirder people in my life than the ones who l- lurk around collecting the samples from the little doors. <laughs> that paints a picture right there. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? They're always kind of like hunched over in oversized scrubs and they just kind of like sneak in. They clearly don't want to talk to anybody, which I don't blame them. That's fine. Oh my gosh. I, I mean, look, I've worked with some really great lab people too. And most of that is like at small facilities on night shift because they're bored and they don't have, you know, we talk sure. to them and we make friends with them. But, you know, it's just, there are some people that work in the lab that, no, granted their job is a very serious job, but like they're completely rigid and unforgiving. But yet when they make a mistake, they will do anything in their power to turn it around onto the nurse who collected yeah, the specimen. Yeah, totally, totally. But, but when you're like, I know it's like not really enough to run this, but this patient, like she's and you're almost aneuric. We don't have any more to give you. Please, right. can you just run whatever you can with this? And they're like, no. Yeah. Oh, okay. Thank you. And I have worked with some that are like, tell me which test is most important to you and I'll run that one first. And if I have some left over, I'll run the yeah. next one. Because like, I get they can't make a medical decision like that, certainly. And right. they can't put something in the permanent chart that isn't accurate, although they mm-hmm. do, certainly. Like when mm-hmm. I noticed like a lot of potassiums will come back critical and then you redraw it critical but hemolyzed and you redraw and then it's normal i'm like yeah but you put that in there you don't hesitate to put that in there so well yeah but i mean they do mark it as hemolyzed when it's in there and then but then you're just like well what's the point well why would you put a hemolyzed potassium in the chart because i can't do anything with that correct you're like you're saying here it is but like it's not an accurate read okay well then take it out of the computer okay here's my here's my other thing and i don't you probably haven't had to deal with this because you work on the floor one thing that happens a lot in the er is if something come now and maybe it's not like this at all facilities so i'm sorry if this is sweeping declaration this is what i experience but if you send something down to lab and they call you and they say sorry the specimen was hemolyzed we can't use it we need we need you to draw another tube. Not only do they need you to draw another tube, but they cancel your order. Oh, yes. And then you have to reorder it. Mm -hmm. So if you're busy and you forget to reorder it and then you just redraw and send it down, then your specimen just sits there. And it's like, you know, you wait in a busy ER, you might be waiting an hour for lab. So an hour goes by and you're you're like, okay, my lab should be coming up any minute now, any minute now, hour and a half goes by. You're like, what, where the hell's my labs? And you call them and they're like, oh, we never got a new order for that. Mm -hmm. And you're like, I got off the phone with you and you told me it was hemolyzed and you needed a new specimen and I collected it and sent it down 30 seconds later. Like you can't just run that off the, come on. Seriously? No, that's stupid. That's a waste of everybody's time. Waste of everybody's time. Ugh. I honestly, this might be the whole topic today. That's all. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> okay, well, we can't just rant about it the whole time, but we can certainly be mad about it right now. I was going to say, the other thing that pisses me off is when they call me and tell me that my coag tube is hemolyzed. I don't even know how that's physically possible. Literally, how is that possible? Then your tube is shitty. <laughs> make new tubes, lab. I know That's my favorite the when they call. Or like, you know, they'll write you up or put you in the system if like your label's crooked, but like they can lose a specimen. They're like, I don't know. Well, that's the thing, too. Like, now, I can't, I don't know what their process is like on the other end, but it happens often enough that clearly there's not some severe punishment for having lost a specimen. Probably because right. they understand that there's human error. Okay, fine. But, like, to, number one, to your point, if it's consistently happening, then that's user error on their end. Mm-hmm. And then number two, like, when you're, you're delaying, sometimes significantly, delaying patient care. Yeah, for sure. And there could be critical results in those labs that we need right now because the patient's in the emergency room and they're really sick. Mm -hmm. And you're losing specimens from, you know, probably being overwhelmed, I would think. I don't know, maybe not very organized. Unsure. Yeah. I do have a mental image of just them receiving just tube after tube after tube and it's just chaos and like they're trying to scan stuff in and every single crooked label they're like, it isn't scanning! And they're just like freaking out (laughs) and like, you're like, you know what? Fucking fuck them! And like throw it away and they're like, it's lost! Specimen's lost! Stabilized! Like, I I just picture it just like a madhouse when I'm sure it's these very, very quiet people having a very, very quiet fury. And that's the energy level I was looking for. <laughs> That's where I needed you to be. Okay, I'm sorry I'm there now. <laughs> the I got a call the in, other everybody. day. And remember, everyone, I am not a bedside nurse. I am a case manager. So I will set up patients for their outpatient labs occasionally, mm-hmm. always with home care and stuff, but like a mobile lab coming to the home or making sure they go home with scripts to take to LabCorp or Quest or whatever. And I got a call the other day to my work phone. and was like, hi, are you, are you covering Mr. So-and-so? And I said, no, but I know who he is. He's not currently in the hospital. Like, what can I do for you? Oh, I'm calling with a critical value from his lab draw. Oh my god. And I was like, wow. Oh my goodness. Um, I am not the right person to report that off to. No, not at all. I'm like, don't you have a following physician on the labs? Like, well, yes, but when we called, they, no one answered, you know, like, and we can't leave this with a voicemail. And I'm like, so what's your standard protocol? Because it can't possibly be to trace it back to the original facts of the person that sent it six months ago go like that right. can't be the, the, the procedure so i gave them the number it was an lvad patient so i gave them the number of the vad coordinator like on call number i'm like this is the best i can do that you'll get a nurse on the other line they can tell it but bef- and then she goes, okay thank you ma'am i said wait before you go what was the value and she goes oh his glucose it's 16 <laughs> oh my god and how long ago was that and i was like okay so these labs had to have been drawn and then sent out yeah of course oh my so gosh. it's probably been a few days so i hope he's now he is okay because he got readmitted <laughs> this week so i saw him for myself <laughs> but i was like okay you better call that number right now and then i called a few minutes later i'm like please tell me that lab court called you because something something's happened <laughs> But I was like handed this information. I was like, oh, no, I can't have this. I can't own this and have nothing else happen. Like, I don't want to own this information. No, no, no. But oh, my God, that's hilarious. The glucose. Wow. It probably was not 16. Spoiler alert. No, because he walked out of the lab draw. (laughs) But Well, that was like I had this guy come in the other day and he came in, got triaged in, had no physical complaints whatsoever. 
was sent over because he got a call at home. Uh, he had had dialysis that morning and they mm. drew his lab work and he got a call at home a few hours later that his hemoglobin was like 4-2. So they were like, you need to go to the ER, you know, right away. So, of course, he comes over to the ER right away. He was very compliant, super, super nice guy. He checked in. He's my patient. He's like, no, I feel fine. I, I don't have any complaints. I just, di- dialysis drew my labs this morning, and they called me and said my hemoglobin is really low. And I said, well, what did they tell you it was? And he told me 4-2. And I, and I looked at him, and first of all, he's awake. He's yeah. He doesn't look pale. He's breathing fine. And so I I asked him, I said, well, where do you normally live? What's your baseline? And he said, I'm usually between eight or nine. And I said, okay, that's where you live. And he said, I can tell when my hemoglobin's low when I get below seven. Mm -hmm. And I said, oh, I go, okay, well, I'm going to tell you right now, based on how you're feeling right now and the fact that you don't have any complaints, I go, if you start feeling it when you're when your hemoglobin's under seven, I really doubt it's four. I said, so, you know, maybe it was just a diluted specimen or whatever, but let me redraw it and we'll see where it's at. And I redrew it and it was like, it was like nine. Okay. I was really hoping you were going to be like, and then it was three. No, no, no. No, he was, it was a total, I don't know if they sent blood on the wrong person or it was a diluted specimen or what, but so now this guy has racked up an ER bill because somebody didn't draw a specimen correctly. Mm -hmm. Well, that happened to my friend recently where he went and got an EKG and the um, EKG tech looked at, which who are you to say this? looks at him and goes, I think you need to go to the ER. And he calls me in a panic and I was like, okay, well, they wouldn't just say that. They would send you to the ER like right. via ambulance if something was critically mm-hmm. wrong. But if she said that, go. He sent me the, the EKG. To, it looked very normal to me. But I don't mm-hmm. read EKGs for a living, so fine. Sure. He goes to the ER and the doctor literally says, I have no earthly idea what that woman saw, but I do not see anything. But oh, thank geez. you for scaring the shit out of this patient. No kidding. What an inappropriate thing to say. Well, and that's somebody who doesn't know what they don't know. Mm-hmm. Like it's an EK and no disrespect to EKG techs, but that's an EKG tech who was speaking way out of line. Yeah. Totally out of line. I'm still mad about like, it. Like you, you get the EKG. Like when patients ask me, how does it look? And I'll be like, I'll be like, well, you know, to me it looks normal, but I don't, I'm not the doc. I can't interpret it the way a doc would. So let me get it over to doc and he or she'll, you know, let you know from there. Mm-hmm. Now, if somebody pops up, acute MI and it's an obvious STEMI, then I'm like, well, this is pretty serious. I'm going to grab the doctor. <laughs> you, yeah. know? you know, calm, so, calm an easy voice. Don't you worry. We'll be right back. Mm-hmm. We, we got you, boo. We got you, boo-boo. <laughs> All right. Well, you very sneakily got me off of my rant. <laughs> All in a day's work, folks. All in a day's work. The listeners are like, thank God, Sarah. <laughs> Jesus. I mean, you're well within your rights to be pissed about it, obviously, because it's something that you're going to deal with multiple times a shift. And for you, that's, you know, 35 days in a row. And, right? <laughs> uh, you know, if that's your main source of irritation is another, like your coworker essentially losing your shit and making you redo work, that's infuriating. Mm-hmm. Give me a break. I just want to change the process. Yeah. So that like there's, I just want to make the process better so that this isn't, ha- because it's a very frequent occurrence is the yeah. problem. Call up the stupid shit committee. Yeah, no kidding. But that's not stupid shit. That's like important shit and I want to fix it. Well, we, this (sighs) is, we had a, we were having an issue where there's a pharmacy, there's like 
the inpatient pharmacy that services the units, obviously. The outpatient pharmacy where you can pick up your meds. And then a combo of the two where the outpatient pharmacy can help us process some of these like special meds and they do concierge ser- service where they deliver all your meds to your bedside for discharge it's great oh sure mm-hmm. you know so we were having an issue where you call down and in my head again i always have a mental image of what i think a place is like when i have no basis to make that judgment <laughs> at all sure that's and in my head it's like just an empty room with 10 ringing phones and <laughs> maybe one person pops in to like pull something off a desk and then they leave again and like it's just an empty room because no matter how many times you call (laughs) no one ever picks up and it sends you to a voicemail recording but you can't leave a message so instead of just letting it ring and ring or putting you on a hold and having you like wait in a queue it's just Mm -hmm. like you've reached the hospital pharmacy please call back later and then you call back again. And like, <laughs> and at any given moment, you'll get someone or you won't. There's absolutely no way to right. predict it. I mean, it's just sheer chaos. So we had escalated it up where we're like, we have a lot of shit going on. And this is like greatly impacting our ability to discharge patients. This is crazy. So like, mm-hmm. y'all need to get more staff. You need to get more people answering phones. I don't know what you need to do. Then you call down there, the person you talk to who is like, you know, the rudest motherfucker you've ever talked to in your life. And... Mm-hmm. Then they don't know what you're talking about and they go around and around and like, it's just infuriating. We need to do better. So they mm-hmm. actually created a process where they have this decentralized technician assigned to your floor who only mm-hmm. works Good. for this pharmacy. And I just call her directly and she runs it and I get it back immediately. And it takes four seconds. That's amazing. And That's it used to take awesome. hours. Good. Good for you guys. And I love process improvement. I know. And so we were at a meeting recently where they were like, okay, we've had this rolled out for an X number of months now. What's everyone's thoughts? And they're like, well, you're you're like the main user. So what do you think? And I'm like, oh, my God, I love it. Don't ever take her away. <laughs> they're like, oh, God, okay. <laughs> That's so great. I'm so glad to hear that you've gotten solutions. I know, but they should do that for lab, for the ER. They should have a person who's just responsible for, and it's like, hi, I'm looking you in the face and I'm handing this to you. Don't fucking lose this. Right. Yeah. The I mean, the problem is just the sheer volume of labs that yes. ERs do. Yes, but absolutely. Anyway, uh, I'm sorry if I bored all of my floor people, but they felt the pain. A, mo- a lot of places they do like. I was spoiled with phlebotomy. A lot of places don't have that. They draw their own shit and they, I'm sure, experience the same thing where you're like, oh my God, I hate them. Okay. Well, if you have your own phlebotomist and you don't have to deal with these issues, I'm sorry for boring you, but when you're complaining about how much you hate ER, just understand these are the kinds of things that we're dealing with down there. (laughs) Have empathy in your hearts for their plight. (laughs) Yes. Just feel bad for us. Please. Our life is hard. Okay. Well, I want to move on to, we got an email from a listener. She's so stinking cute. And (laughs) she says, hello, Sarah and Jamie. I am new to listening to you as of this week. And I love you both. Uh, Oh, it's T. Hi, T. Hi, T. Thank you, T. Thank you for joining us. She says, you guys make my rides to and from work and and spare time so much more enjoyable. (laughs) (laughs) I love that we have just like jumped right into your life and you're just hanging on and not letting us go. Welcome. So T sends us uh, information. She says she's included her input on the episodes she's heard and she gave us stories for idiot providers 
awkward stories and funny stories. So she gave us like six or seven stories. And I love your enthusiasm, T. It's amazing. I enjoyed all of the stories. I loved reading them. I don't have time to read all of them, but there's one I am going to read because I love it. <laughs> I'm ready. You ready? Uh-huh. Okay. So this is listed as an awkward story. My favorite kind. I know, right? T says, when I was a newer nurse, I was working on a med surge floor on the night shift. I had received a new admission. I was performing the skin check. Well, you know, ER didn't do a skin check. <laughs> I was performing the skin check when I came across the most horrific groin and abdominal fold rash I had ever seen. Yeah. Now, I know I had said I was a newer nurse, but I had been in healthcare since I graduated high school eight years prior. The woman's rash was fire engine red, moist, with drainage coming out of scattered openings. Oh, no. I know. I helped get the rash cleaned up through... <laughs> Sorry, T. I helped get the rash cleaned up through the woman's weird moans and comments about how she has not been touched down there in a long time. <laughs> oh, my God. I continue to clean her and ignore her remarks because, honestly, <laughs> I didn't know how to respond to that. I feel so uncomfortable. <laughs> I, I know, right? Oh, it says, I didn't know how to respond to that that would be professional or appropriate on any level. Uh-huh. So I inquire how long she had had the rash for. I cannot remember the answer. I then ask what she has tried to do for it at, at home for management. I don't think with any amount of experience under my belt, I would have been prepared for this woman's response. She says, quote, well, I let my dog lick it often. <gasps> I felt my eyes jump so far out of my head and looked at her. I asked her, you let your dog lick your groin? She oh said, yes. Should I not? Please oh don't tell God. anyone. As I try to gather myself, I had to provide education to this patient on the use of dogs helping with personal hygiene. Oh, <laughs> God, my mouth is literally open right now. Like, jaw literally dropped open. I know. Ugh. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, I can't even. Oh, I can't even imagine what was in that lady's groin. <laughs> I mean, was she thinking to herself that stupid thing that people say where they're like, actually, dogs' mouths are cleaner than human mouths. Oh, I know. Well, you shouldn't lick your own either. No, no licking, ma'am. No licking. Human mouths are disgusting. <laughs> oh my gosh. Anyway. It does remind me of a time I was putting a Foley in a woman and I was, you know, deep sea diving to try and get into it. And Oh yeah. The loss of an arm. Yeah. And she goes, oh, that got an itch that I, 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 I that scratched an itch I've had for days. Oh my God. And I was like, oh ma'am. <laughs> I know it's worse for you, but also, is it? <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe I don't know. Not. There's some old ladies, like, you put a pure wick on them, and they're like, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't been touched like this in 70 years. Or you, or you slam that decadron, and they're like, ah, it's alive. <laughs> oh, God. I really wonder what kind of patient I'm going to be when I'm 90 years old. I'm definitely going to be an asshole, but I wonder if I'm going to be like that. Like, can I just have a pure wick? I Turn hope that, that suction up all the way. Turn it up all the way. Crank her up, baby. I really have to pee. Turn it all the way up. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, anyway, T, thank you for that. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening. We love you and welcome. <laughs> oh, gosh. 
All right. Well, moving on into our topic today, we have previously talked about some elements of the opioid crisis and things like that. And we want to kind of just bring some of that back a little bit in order to kind of be the springboard for um, our topic today, which is alternative therapies mm-hmm. and also like how that impacts nursing and things like that. So uh, I don't know. Do you want to start? Um, sure. I mean, let me give a little bit of basis of kind of what we're talking about so people are, know we're all on the same page. Mm-hmm. You probably had a very, very short chapter about it in nursing school and that's probably the last time you really thought about it. Mm-hmm. And I would say that these are things that we we do regularly but it maybe doesn't have that name it doesn't have that focus so we're talking about it specifically in regards to treatment for pain but it has a more holistic ideas to just comfort for the patient in general so non-pharmacological you know massage music therapy pet therapy what other what other things are, what are pet right therapy now? we've talked about pet therapy before that would literally make my pain go away if i had my little pop on my bed Aww. <laughs> what are the other things besides pet therapy and music therapy and massage yes <laughs> well i mean there's all kinds of alternative therapies i mean there's natural uh supplements and things like that like for example i take ashwagandha for anxiety Mm-hmm. which is an herbal supplement. I have chronic neck pain and tension headaches, and so I do chiropractic and massage. Yeah. I guess I'm thinking about trying to think about things in the hospital that we that nurses would do. Because, like, acupuncture would be on the list, but, like, nurses aren't going to do acupuncture. Right, sure. Well, but, but that's the discussion is... I mean, really, we have this paradigm shift happening right now where the world is swinging... The pendulum has swung completely the opposite direction of opioids. So we went from dispensing candy to everybody to just being like, it's non-existent, basically. It's awful. And honestly, I have my own thoughts about that because I think that it has a time and a place. But I read a study, this was probably five years ago, where a... An ER, I believe it was in New York. My memory is really failing me because it was so long ago. But I believe it was an ER somewhere in New York where the attending physician just did not believe in opioid pain medication. And so in order to combat that, they really kind of changed their culture in the ER. And they just said, look, we don't give out narcotics, period. Mm -hmm. Like, we just don't. So they employed, like, a massage therapist... They employed like music people, like a like a cellist or a cool. violinist or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they had like a psychologist, and these people worked full time in the ER, and they would go room to room, and they would work on massaging musculoskeletal areas and helping get things back in alignment and they would play music in the patient's room for them and I mean just all kinds of stuff like this and the patients were actually like really satisfied with their pain strategies Mm -hmm. and they they seemed to help now again this was five years ago I don't remember much more about the study other than it existed but that's phenomenal well it is but my point in bringing that up is We've swung the pendulum away from opioids, but we haven't changed the culture to incorporate these other strategies. So we're basically sitting in the ER going, well, we have nothing for you. Yeah. Here's Tylenol and Motrin. Yeah. Which is still pharmacological intervention. Right. 
It's just not And have opioid. plenty of their own side effects if you, especially if you have comorbidities. Of course. Yeah. So, you know, it's, we're really at a kind of weird spot in medicine where I don't want to say we don't want to treat people's pain, but we don't have the tools. Well, we've taken away a resource without putting in an an alternative. A new, yes, that's a great way of putting it. But, but putting in that new resource requires a cultural shift. Completely. It requires us to be more open to alternative therapies. It requires us to, to draw a line and say, we're not prescribing these, so we are going to do A, B, C, and D. The problem is, though, because I agree 100%. Let me just start with that. I fully agree. And I'm big on, if at all possible, don't take a medication for it. I get that straight from my parents who feel the same way. Mm-hmm. They see they see Western and Eastern doctors, and they but they try and do more of a holistic approach. And neither mm-hmm. of them take any medications, and they do a lot of homeopathic things, X, Y, and Z. And, you know, if, if anyone's ever listened if before, you know, and if you haven't, I'm telling you, both my parents are nurses. But we've seen this in a variety of ways pervasive through our culture. I'm thinking specifically about during the pandemic, but mm-hmm. in general, this culture of immediate gratification, go mm-hmm. to your cardiologist with high blood pressure, get put on a medication. Mm-hmm. So you're feeding money into the pharma- pharmaceuticals, Mm-hmm. which makes the country go round and mm-hmm. you're not required to change anything about your lifestyle. Right. Now, not yeah. everything you're going to go to a doctor for would be fixed with a lifestyle change. That's, that's sure. silly. Sure. And like I said, I'm not anti-medication, obviously I'm a nurse, but for things that are, it's like, we'll take a pill and then you don't have to worry about it as much. Now, maybe right. the conversation is in junction with you making lifestyle change, but we know people don't and they don't have to because they feel better, but then, okay, so now I have a side effect from that medication, so I'm going to take this. Well, then I have a right. side effect from that medication, so I'm going to take this and all the way down. Yeah. Yep. And then you have people on, you know, 20 or more medications and I'm like, there is no way your body knows how to handle all these things that are happening. Our bodies weren't designed for that. They weren't. And for the opioid crisis specifically, absolutely, we need a cultural shift in terms of these are hard to get. You're not going to walk into any doctor. Now, and this is true too. Now, you're not going to walk into any regular doctor's office or an ER and get opioids anymore. We know that. Mm-hmm. Right. But in general you can walk into a doctor's office and get a medication without very much effort to the point where right. pharmaceuticals know they can advertise directly to the consumer. Yeah. Which is insane. Yeah. So that you can go to your doctor and make a recommendation. Well, I saw an ad for Eloquest. They were dancing. Yeah, right. They were dancing. Right. I want to be dancing. Put I want to be Eliquist. dancing. What's the problem? Put me on and a Joe like, well, And they're like, oh, it's $300 a month, ma'am. Like, yeah. So they know how to manipulate people into things like that. I don't know. There's just a lot of there's a lot of layers to this now as I'm as I'm thinking about it. <laughs> there's definitely a lot of layers to it. One thing I want to say is I'm just going to talk about my experience. I'm not big on opioids. I have taken opioids in the past for different reasons. Of course, I had that terrible experience after my shoulder surgery, so I'm really apprehensive about using them. But I, I mean, I do get periods where like my pain is really bad that I feel like I need something. And here's the thing. When I am getting, like if I go to the chiropractor every week or every other week and I get a good massage weekly, I feel amazing. Mm-hmm. I don't need, I'm not taking, I'm not even taking Tylenol. And in fact, 
I will go, like, if I'm not going to chiropractor or and massage, if I'm not doing that, I probably have tension headaches about three weeks out of every month. Jeez. I would say my, my tension headaches, realistically, sometimes, they, they I live probably at like a four or five, but every once in a while, they just get up there to like an eight or a nine. And I just feel like I can't even function because I can't even think. I just, it hurts so bad. I can't, you can't sleep. You can't do any, it's awful. And I'll like self-massage and things like that. But when I am going to regular chiropractic and massage, I have zero headaches, Mm -hmm. zero. So these are fantastic strategies for me. I would much rather do that than take a med. But Mm-hmm. I have to pay $35 every time I go to a chiropractor. That's my copay for every time I go to a chiropractor. A massage, because I get like I get like two to three hour massages. My massages are anywhere from like 175 to 250. Mm-hmm. Now I don't I can't afford to do that weekly. I mean, you're talking just under three hundred dollars every week. Yeah. To do chiropractor and massage. I mean, okay, on the cheap end, 210. 210 every week to get one chiropractic visit and one massage. I don't have that kind of money. That's, you know, I'm spending almost $1,000 a a month month to do that. So, So that, whereas, like, if I go to my doctor, if he will prescribe me, like, Robaxin or Scalaxin, which I, I'm having a hard time getting anymore now, and I don't like to take that. Like, Robaxin makes me really sleepy. Scalaxin doesn't make me sleepy. But if I go to my... I'm telling you what. I've seen my doctor since I was, I don't know, 23 years old. And if I go in there and I ask for Robaxin or Scalaxin, he grills me mm-hmm. as to why I want it. And I'm like, dude, I've been seeing you for tension headaches for 20 years. Yeah. Like, are you kidding me? You, you can't know that give I've me, tried the other therapies. You can't give me 20 pills to get me through this exact. And those 20 pills, you know how much they cost me? Five bucks, if right. that. Right. So it's like, so $1,000 a month or $5, like... Yeah. As long as we have insurance only covering medications and not covering any kind of alternative therapy to to a comparable amount, because many are not going to cover chiropractor as a referral, you know, there's all sorts of snottiness Mm -hmm. about that. Yeah, I know. And certainly not massage. Obviously, that's out of pocket. And it's like, but until we have anything like that, there's, there's no way to affect change. It's just incredible. Well, and it makes it so frustrating. So like, I understand why these people who, you know, are looking for like strategies for their pain, like here we've taken away opioids and I get that. I understand it. I'm on board with that, Mm -hmm. but we've given them nothing for replacement or the alternatives that they have to seek out on their own Mm -hmm. are so, I mean, I can't even afford it and I make a really good living. Yeah. Like, can you imagine it? There's having it available because not everyone lives in places where that's even a thing. Sure. And, but of course you can get, you can fill Norco at any pharmacy and it's even knowing about these options. You're, I mean, your doctors are not necessarily offering these things to you. I went with a, mm-hmm. a friend who has had a back injury that turned into a full spasm. And mm-hmm. it was the first one. And like, we ended up seeing a back specialist um, and he wanted me to come because I speak the language. Sure. And essentially this guy said, and he was v- reputable, normal. It was He was a normal guy. He was not some sleazy doctor. Mm-hmm. And he was basically like, you got to wait it out. And I said, okay, so in your opinion, do you feel like there would be a contraindication to massage, chiropractor? Like, I'm saying that word wrong. Chiropractory? Chiropractory? (laughs) Right, right, right. Just 
chiro- chiro- chiropractic, ice, rest, stretching, yoga, like all these right. things. Like, do you feel? And he's like, if it makes it feel better, try it. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I'm so sorry. That is so unhelpful, honestly. Like, mm-hmm. you're giving me carte blanche of the things that I suggested. You didn't right. have anything to offer us, though. And, like, what if I had said si- stay completely silent and offered none of those? You wouldn't have suggested maybe going to get a massage? Mm-hmm. Or a free take a free YouTube yoga class and stretch out in your living room? I mean, you had he had nothing to say because he's like, well, it just, it's so, it just depends on the person. And I, not that that's not true. And, like, I knew we weren't going to go in and walk away with an opioid script, obviously. I think my friend mm-hmm. kind of thought that. And I was like, you better curb your expectations because that's not going <laughs> to yeah. be what comes out of this. Yeah. But I was I was getting a glimpse of like oh I see what happens <laughs> I see what happens here especially now yeah. that they can, you know if this was ten years ago we would have walked out with a script with two refills absolutely we would have had a muscle relaxant and we would have had an opioid for breakthrough pain yeah absolutely but now even their paradigm hasn't shifted enough to even like suggest anything I know your back well, specialist and you can't give me a suggestion of what to do other than wait it out. We've been well, waiting it out. That's why we're here. I feel like that was kind of not a good visit. It was not a good visit. No. I mean, but there, but that's how, but that's how it goes. And like, think about our patients in the hospital who have no medical background. Yeah. They, you know, they don't speak the language. They come in and we're offering them like no alternatives. Now, okay, so we've kind of laid the groundwork for what is the problem. But you brought up an interesting point when we were talking about this as a topic, which is like, how does this really affect nursing? Like, how would a paradigm shift Mm -hmm. or a cultural change in which we were incorporating alternative strategies, how does that affect nursing? Well, my first instinct is here's a list of new things you're going to have to learn how to do. Probably. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I remember in nursing school them saying, you know, if uh, if your patient would like it, offer them a massage. And I remember we've even already as a student, talked about that. Yeah. Even as a student thinking about it and being like, fuck no. No, I'm not massaging. And patient. by the way, even like a massage therapist who you go to has been trained in how to do it because you can hurt people if you do it wrong. Sure. Yeah. Especially if we're talking about you're massaging an acute injury. Yeah. No. Don't well, have- plus like... I- I'm the kind of person, like, I love deep tissue, so guess what I'm giving you? <laughs> I'm getting elbows in there. Yeah, ow, 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 ow. Yeah. <laughs> you know, in theory, like, a, a, play, a place that had a lot of resources available, you know, the first places to implement anything like this are going to likely be bigger, like, teaching hospital scenarios and things like that. Where yeah. they would hire people to come in. You know, you're right. not going to have nurses playing the violin in, in the corridor in between med <laughs> right. passes, you know. And it's that awful violin sound of... This is therapeutic, right? And you're like, oh, oh my God, God, that's so loud. What, what's your pain level? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> so, yes, nurses won't be playing the violin. Nurses won't be doing that, but... I see it being nursing making recommendations and having to guide the the therapies in that way of like, you know, I feel like especially because nurses are the ones who are stable on the floor and know the resources, whereas a lot of providers tend to rotate through, even if they're in mm-hmm. the same place. Like, I, I feel like it's nurses who are stable in that way and they would know what's worked in the past, what some of the options are, so they could rec- make different recommendations, I would think. For inpatient or for outpatient? I'm talking about inpatient. For outpatient, 
I don't really know, to be honest with you. But see, like, how what is a nurse going to do to make recommendations for inpatient if the resources aren't in place to support the recommendations? Well, I'm only to, I'm only talking about if they have resources. As far as okay. if there's no if we if you're talking about tomorrow, what do they do? Tell the patient what they can do on their own, but no, otherwise, no. There's not, I mean, we don't have anything mm-hmm. for them. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there's people who are listening out there right now thinking that we're talking about nev- never treating pain with medicine. We're not talking about that. There are times yeah, that, when you I mean, need that's a- it. That's not absolutely. But especially with even like surgically, we were one of the only floors that used epidurals. Oh, okay, yeah. And we used it in conjunction with a PCA, and we I anecdotally saw patients with epidurals do better yeah because they were getting a very low dose but continual you know numbing and maybe maybe a little dilated in there or something Mm -hmm. and it kept them comfortable enough to progress how they needed to and then they used their pcas less Mm -hmm. and then when we weaned them all off to all that and then into orals like i just feel like they did better Mm -hmm. i don't feel like opioids I mean, this is gonna this is gonna sound terrible. I don't feel like opioids treat pain. I feel like opioids put you to sleep so you can ignore the pain for a little bit. That's I think what everyone I feel probably like. feels differently. I I don't know. Maybe, I'm not maybe. a big opioid taker. I yeah. had a few Vicodin for my wisdom teeth, and I didn't like how I felt, so I stopped taking yeah. it. Yeah, because I felt out of control, and like I was like, I don't know, like I couldn't, I couldn't focus, and I was like, I hate this. Get this out of here. Yeah. So I've been lucky enough that I haven't needed to to take anything like that. But I don't know. I'd have to have someone else tell me tell me their experience too. Well, I think you know how we have like PT and OT. We should have like pain management. And I'm not talking about the the pain management team that comes around and gives high doses of narcotics and stuff like that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a pain management department where like you have somebody who can stretch you out according to like, you know, what's going on. Somebody like maybe like hydro tub massages, mm-hmm. water that's what, therapy. That's what the pain like, services should be. The fact that they're just people who absolutely. walk around and make different recommendations for methadone. Get out of here. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Maybe that's an ignorant thing but, you know, that's I don't know, a- but <laughs> it feels like they don't help that much. But that's a whole other ball of wax, which we've touched on in other episodes, too, which is when you have people who are on these high levels of opioids and they come in for an acute issue, what you in the world do we do? What do you right. do? There's n- yeah, I don't know. So without and then alternative their strategies. Thing is, was my pain well controlled? No, zero out of ten. Yeah. Okay, cool. This is going great. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, it's an it's certainly an interesting commentary on, you know, what alternative therapies could be used. The other thing is, you know, having a psychologist who could actually come in and talk to people, because when you look at the trajectory of pain identification, for example, and what people think pain is, mm-hmm. like you get your, you know, your 80 year old who has their like ankle hanging off of the mm-hmm. stretcher and they're like nah i mean i'm a two I, I don't need anything i'm okay and you get this 20 year old as we all know eating texting cheetos. on their phone eating cheetos uh-huh. you know and they're like it's a 10 <laughs> i mean yeah. there's a there's a real disparity in what it's pain subjective. actually is yeah it's and subjective. well of course it's subjective but people just today people have zero tolerance for trying for trying to manage their pain yeah, because they've been they've been taught that like 
you have this, you get a pill for this. That's why our ER visits for like urgent care type stuff have gone up tremendously because, you know, you have a sniffle, go to the ER, they'll fix it immediately. Mm-hmm. No, we won't. You have to no, wait. We it's a virus. Wait. And, right. the, and the hardest lesson people have to learn is that the ER is to rule out that you're having an emergency. Right. That's not to diagnose a chronic condition for which you need to see a PCP. Sorry. It's not. You know, that's, in- that's interesting that you say that because I always, when people come in and they've had belly pain for eight months and they've seen their, like, they've never seen a doctor, but they've been in the ER three or four times. Yeah. The first thing I tell them, I say, you know, first of all, the longer you've had it, the less likely it is we're going to, we're going to diagnose it in yeah. the ER. We're going to do a CT scan, make sure it's not appendicitis or your gallbladder or some shit. And right. then we're going to send you to a GI doctor follow up. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Which you should have done eight months ago. So. Well, you know where, and then you have had three of them, so you can correct me if I'm wrong. Oh, children. But when I think <laughs> I'm like, about. I'm like, what do I have three of? What do you have three of? But when I, I think nipples. about alternative pain management in a place where they really don't encourage a lot of pain me- uh, medicine is L&D. Because you saying the hydrotherapy made me think of that. Mm-hmm. Well, I wouldn't say that they don't encourage, I mean, they don't encourage like narcotics, although they are pretty quick to give Nubane if somebody requests it. However, I mean, they're very quick to give people epidurals. I mean, I had epidurals with both of my first two. Mm-hmm. And... Honestly, the only reason I had epidurals is because I had to be induced with both of them and the pit was awful. And I really, I never wanted to have pit for that reason. Like I wanted to have natural deliveries and it just didn't work out that way. I mean, with my first son, my water broke and... I had, I never started contracting on my own after my water broke, which then, you know, puts me and the baby at risk for infection and things like that. So they have to induce labor for protection of the baby and stuff like that. So, so then I had to be on pit and let me tell you, that is awful. And that's, that is not a woman's natural labor progress. That is medicine forcing your body into labor that it's not ready for. And so when, when a normal person going through labor you know, your contraction, your contractions get progressively stronger and closer together, but it's more like a crescendo, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas like pit, it's just hard and fast, just yeah. hard and fast. And you, I couldn't relax. Like I, I lasted on pit for like seven hours without oh. an epidural. Oh my God. And I was, I mean, I was bawling my eyes out. I was so uncomfortable and I made zero progression. Like oh I went God. from a zero to a one. And um, so finally I got an epidural and within one hour of getting the epidural, I was a 10. Because my body just couldn't relax. So. Yeah. Although I remember when you had your third, when you were like, well, I now know what 10 out of 10, 10, out of 10 pain yes. really is. Well, I mean, I knew that with my first one too, but uh, <laughs> before I got the epidural. But yeah, with my third one, I actually, I used nitrous, which was amazing. And I highly recommend that for anybody. I think everybody should get to use nitrous during labor and delivery. It's it's wonderful. It has a really short half-life. So it's like gone out of your system quickly. And if you learn how to effectively use it, it's great. So I did that coupled with a warm bath. And I sat in the I sat in the tub and labored in the tub with a nitrous mask on my face. And let me tell you, as far as labor goes, like I couldn't have asked for anything better. By the time I hit transition, I didn't know what transition felt like because I had never been in transition without an epidural. Mm-hmm. So when I hit transition, I was like having flashbacks from my first baby. I bet. I was like, I need an epidural now. And then come to find out, literally the baby was like coming out of me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? and they're so, like, no, ma'am, sorry. It's, I know we say it's too late a lot, but it's genuinely too late right now. It's too late. And it was, and that was fine because like, 
the baby came out and I was fine. Like I used, I just kept the mask on my face. I'm holding my baby with the mask. Like, <laughs> but what a great thing where there were, you know, you kind of get this buffet of different things you can try. Yeah. And now they're looking at a very specific, limited amount of time that you're going to be in pain mm-hmm. that you would require some kind of intervention. Right. But we know they exist. Now, yeah. pe- people with chronic pain can't have nitrous max- masks on all the time. Maybe they well, like to. Well, that's true. But, um, but all that to say, like... There's a new job for us. We can just open a nitrous clinic. Oh. You can come in. You come in. You pay, like, you know, 30 bucks for 15 minutes. And you can sit with nitrous for 15 minutes. <laughs> oh, a modern-day opioid den. Just <laughs> people passed out on cushions all around this empty room. Well, you wouldn't be passed out. The dentist put you on nitrous. That's true. I I liked nitrous. I had it one time when I was some type oh my of God, procedure I love or whatever, it. and I was like, it was cozy. It was great. Oh yeah. Wah 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 wah. <laughs> if you've never oh. had nitrous, you won't get that reference. No. Okay. <laughs> but when you know, you oh. know. You when you know, you know. You're either in or you're out. Which one are you? <laughs> Oh, boy. Well, anyway, we are uh, rounding out the end of our time on that note. So do you have any final thoughts that you want to make sure we include? Are you? No. I mean, I think my only sort of overarching thought and point about this whole episode is that, like, there are things available. There are more things to discover. Nursing can be the front runners of fixing this. I think. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, we are the ones advocating for our patients. We're the ones in the room when the patient's crying and they're not looking to a doctor to hold their hand. They're not. They mm-hmm. want the comfort of their nurse to please help me. And mm-hmm. they, you know, they trust the doctors to prescribe the things and whatever, but like they, they look to us to, to guide this and the doctors do too. And mm-hmm. I do think that a lot of these things will come down to the nurse suggesting it, implementing it, etc., and evaluating it. And mm-hmm. there's an opportunity for us as a whole, I think, to really take the baton with it. And I think that's this is a good opportunity. Well, nurses are like the uh, number one, like the highest amount of people in the hospital. So if mm-hmm. nurses want to drive something, we really have the power to do it. We just have to like band together and do it. And I think... I think all it takes is a leader to be like, look, this is something we could do. Like, my mind is swirling on this whole, like, pain management department. Mm-hmm. How could I implement a new thing at this hospital and, like, get the ball rolling and do research and do, like, case studies and have people volunteer to try this alternative pain medica- or pain um, therapy and stuff like that and write up research reports on it and, like, publish the journal article. I'm just like, my mind is going... <laughs> A mile a minute right now. I'm just like, oh my God, I could do this. I could really do it. (sighs) I'm going to take on the world one day. I swear to God. For now, it's just a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) One step at a time. One step. Baby steps, man. Baby steps. All right, everybody. Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, Obviously, we'd love to hear your feedback. So hit us up on Insta at Nurse Coffee Talk. Or you can always send us an email to nursecoffeetalk at gmail.com. Share us with your friends. Like us. Love us. Tell us what you hate about us. I mean, we'll probably won't read that on air, but. (laughs) (laughs) No, but we'll listen. We'll read it and it'll hurt our feelings. So don't worry. Yeah. And then we'll cry and then we'll go do whippets. (laughs) (laughs) Goodbye. Goodbye. Have a great week. We love you. Bye. 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 (laughs) 